Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Well, hello, listeners. This is the other half. Due to unforeseen circumstances, the season two premiere of the Simply Scary podcast will be delayed until January 18th. I know, I know. You just can't wait to hear G.M. Danielson, but patience is a virtue. I have tentacles everywhere, and my sources have leaked some valuable documents from deep inside the hidden hand of the grand cabal of Illuminati tools. Many interns died to bring us this information. In an email back and forth with higher-ups, who I won't name, But be sure, they are on my list. One of the communications received is quoted as, There is no way that will ever happen. That disgusting, overacting hack, the other half, will host a show when hell freezes over. Hmm. Didn't realize I was on their radar. I must have touched a nerve when I kidnapped Clinton to do a simply scary promotion during the election. Well, guess what? Satan has got his Land's Zen parka on. I have taken the mantle because of the aforementioned challenge to keep you occupied until our work is completed. So I have compiled some of our associate producer's work together for your discomfort. Ronnie Dickison has recently joined the team and his work is right up my alley. 
and I am about to beat the hell out of you with the baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire that is his productions. Be warned, this ain't gonna be no kiddie show. You will experience strong language, violence, gore, and adult situations. Listener discretion is advised. So you got about five seconds to clear the kids out of the room, because we're doing things my way. Five, four, three, two, you have been warned. I have compiled some of the vilest experiences you have yet to be assaulted with. So, without further ado, let's get started. First up to numb you. We have an unpleasant experience that will cut you deep. Consider this your trigger warning. I present to you, bath time in the ocean of dreams. I love baths. Usually daddy helps me, but I like it more when he leaves me be. All to my own world, swimming with my favorite creatures in the deep white and blue sea. Down in the tub, I can imagine myself dipping and diving with dolphins, riding along on a seal's furry slick back, weaving in and out of coral reefs and just being free. Sometimes I like to hold my breath and challenge myself and I'm getting bigger and stronger as I get older. I can hold my breath for a whole minute now. And tonight I took a big breath and dove down to the bottom of the ocean floor. On the way, I said hello to all sorts of creatures swimming in big wide circles. I hit the bottom and spread myself out like a starfish, my little curling arms reaching across the white sheet of sand. I stayed like that, a good, gentle starfish, happy, waving, stretching. Then I saw a shark come, slipping out of the shadows. The shark is a mean creature, likes to nip at my toes and whisper bad things in my ears. One time, it bit me so hard that I actually bled. The little droplets drifted through the water like tiny red clouds. I could push my fingers through. This time, the shark dove straight for my thighs. He sank his big white teeth and I screamed into the water, the shock bubbling out of me in a big wave. I thrashed and thrashed, kicking, trying to get away, but he held on tight. I grasped at my breath like a slippery fish that was trying to get away. I started to get the slightest bit sleepy. My head filled with light. I gulped down streams of water. Then I floated up. My body swam on its own. I circled up through the wondrous reefs, saying hello to all my friends, my shrimps and dolphins, seals and whales. And they all watched me, silent, as I broke the surface of the ocean and floated up to touch the bathroom ceiling. The light in the middle flickered as I came near. Though I was still wet, not a single drop fell from me. I looked down and saw Daddy. He looked frightened. His shirt was wet and his eyes bugged out like two hard-boiled eggs in his head. He was splashing away in my deep blue sea, tugging at something that looked an awful lot like me. But it couldn't be, though, because here I was, in the biggest ocean of them all. He, her eyes were open, wide as the sea floor, and I could see little spidery cracks of red in them like wriggling anemones. Her lips were fat and blue, and she looked scared and frozen. I wish I could help her, but I was having far too much fun, swimming 
the new ocean that had opened up before me. So, are you feeling uncomfortable yet? Well, let me help you with that. I'm gonna send you on a journey that you might not want to take. But you're in my world now. And sometimes looking in the mirror is unpleasant. And the rage that comes from ignorance can become violence realized. Take a step into the world of Blackwater. Small town life can be hard. Sometimes you feel downright cut off from the rest of the world. The smallest rumors rocket from the loudest throats and get caught in even the most unwilling of ears. Neighbors all know your every thought and summers feel like forever. And everything got that unwashed stink of something familiar. Everything seems endless. Simple life can be good. If simple life is all you aim for. Mom always said I aimed high. I was an overachiever. A smart girl gonna go somewhere with a big brain. But every time she'd say that, every time she'd pay mind to my future, I saw the twinge of pain hidden deep behind her proud eyes. Like moss on a night river. Under every word that shone bright on her face. I heard the truth. I'm dark. Mama was blessed with creamy almond skin. But Daddy passed his color on to me. We was the kind of dark that don't hold no light. The kind of dark that no matter how far we come, we always gonna be dark. Daddy passed when I was a little thing, only eight years. Now I only see his face in shadows. I came up early, started high school when I was just past 13. Mama called me her little flower, her sweet, soft daisy. And before then, she taught me from home. Said it was best a mother passed down to her kin the knowledge she'd need for the world. But when she got a factory job and didn't have no more time for me, she gave me to the city. Why are you so black? I kept my eyes on my notebook, trying to block out the words, but they caught up around my heels like hungry dogs on a bone. Sherilyn, let her be. She ain't done nothing to you. I just want to know why she's so dark, all. I traced the words on my paper, like I'd done a hundred times before, ignoring and wishing her away, hard as I could. After a tick, she turned and walked away. A little group pot on her heels. Beneath a curtain of fresh tears, I glanced up, watched her hips sway, mini skirt perched just right, and her honey-colored hair bouncing against her back. It's always the same questions. Why are you so black? You get dipped in oil and they forget about you? Your mama lay heavy with the night itself? Always the same smirk, the same... Accusatory glances 
glared down from her pixie straight nose like I'd done something to need to answer for it. Always the same words I was used to hearing that didn't stop them from hurting. Something somewhere deep in me tipped over. Bitch, I muttered, mostly under my breath. It was like I'd screamed it ten times right in her face. Spittle crested on her brow, she whipped around. Honey hair caught in a turbine was on me faster than I could breathe out another word. She gripped my collar like it was her best boy's hand and shook me like I was something to dry. The fuck you say to me, you fat lip bitch? She screamed, the heat rising off her skin in spades. I sat with my quiet, knowing any other word just make things worse. She raised a hand to strike and I flinched, expect a rain of blows. Instead, a principal, a round white woman with great ruddy cheeks, came rushing from the back of the hall and caught her hand. Girls, she cried, indignant, there will be absolutely no fighting in my school. Sherilyn tore her hand away and piped up. But Miss Beaker, she, I don't want to hear another word of it. Both of you, detention after school. Now get to class this instant or I'll tack on another day. She spun and marched down the hall, pale yellow pantsuit crinkling with every exaggerated movement. Sherilyn's gaze followed her until she disappeared from sight, then locked in on mine with a hunter's lust, stepping closer to my face till I could see the flare of hate burning clear in her eyes. She grabbed my pinky finger and twisted quick. I yelped, jumping away from her. She stared for another moment, then let a smile creep across her face and set a cube of ice between each notch in my spine. She stepped away, mouthing the words, they're fucking dead, and disappeared into the waiting fold of her clan. I was copying my third set of lines, singing a soft tune inside my head. When something hit the back of it, glancing behind me, I saw Cheryl Lynn hiding a snicker behind her palm. Cherry red nails dipped into the curve of her cheeks. Her friend Grace sat next to her, looking worried but playing cool. Cheryl Lynn snapped her gum, something the teacher seemed to not notice or just ignore, and rolled her eyes before turning to her lines. I looked on the ground behind my chair and saw a crumpled up piece of paper. Hesitantly, I grabbed it and dropped it on my desk. I didn't want to open it. She probably spit on it or something. And curiosity got the best of me. I unrolled it and laid it open flat on the desk. All the air in the room seemed to leap in my throat in that very moment. In blue pen, she'd drawn my death out in tender love and detail. I swung from a tree, stripped bare to my brush suit, and painted with blood and guts from my tore open body. My intestine hung low, almost touching the ground. Big, bold X's marked out my eyes. Hands shaking, the fires of hate started burning up my stomach walls. I almost didn't hear when the teacher called out to me. Kara! The voice finally broke through my haze. I jumped with a start. Y yes Miss Taff. If you can't pay enough attention to your lines, I can find you something more interesting to do. I looked down at the paper in front of me and crumpled it back up sticking it in my dress pocket. Sorry, miss. As I finished writing my 23rd line and bled into the 24th, I heard a swell of giggles break out behind me. I ignored them, along with the creeping fear pricking deep at my neck. Autumn was breaking cold against the last lakes of summer. I let the breeze lick hungrily at my face. It had been a hot season, 
and the kind where you find dogs panting in the dust of the street with nobody come to claim them. I decided to take the long way home, dazzled by bright colors in the last throes of the day. I wasn't paying attention to the path in front of me, like a song from a nightmare. Cheryl Lynn's cold, dry voice crept out from the bush. Oh, look at what we got here. I stopped dead in my tracks, eyes snapping up to meet her. About ten yards ahead, she stood with her friends behind her back. Grace perched nervously off to the side. The hell you want, I said, urging bravery to my voice as it trembled. Look at that. Docky's got an attitude problem. She glanced at Grace. Think we can help her tighten that up? Grace looked at me for a tick, then back to Sherlyn. Come on, she's scared enough. Let's just go. I looked from face to face, unsure of what to do. I'm just going home. Let me be, and I won't bother you no more. What is the fun in that? She said, stepping forward and pulling a rope from behind her back. I took off running as fast as my legs could carry. Over rocks and logs, I jumped quick as a jackrabbit, heart pounding my ears like a drum. I heard her barking like a hound at my back, snarling for a kill. As I rounded the corner in a path, I got caught up on an exposed root and stumbled a touch, almost falling over. In that moment, Sherilyn closed the distance between us. I grabbed me by the shoulders and threw me headfirst in the nearest tree. The sound of my head cracking against the solid trunk rang throughout the forest like a sick bell. I landed on the ground at its base in a heap, stars prancing in my vision. She kicked me square in the stomach. Rods of hurt bounced off every inch of my insides. She pushed me on my back with her foot and let the length of the rope drop onto my face. She had already fastened the noose. Its thick knot hit me in the eye, forcing it shut with a burst of pain. I tried to back up against the tree and push myself up, but only earned a throbbing jolt of daggers in my arm from where it connected. All I could do was stare up at her through a hazy cloud, looking past her triumphant face, past Grace's worried sickened one. I saw faint light filtering through dense treetops and realized we'd run into the part of the woods adults always forbade us from entering. The air seemed to dance between the exposed patches and the waning sun, like heat licking off a baked blacktop. Why? Why are you doing this? I ain't done nothing to you but exist. Just it. You exist. All a darky like you got to do is exist in this world gone to shit. I ain't done nothing. I began to cry. But she landed a swift blow to my stomach, pitching me forward. She knelt down, balancing on the balls of her feet, put a hand under my chin. Raising it, she smiled, sweet as sugar. Just want to brighten the world up a bit, us all. Unable to move, I sat there. Tears streamed down my face in a hot river. She closed the noose around my neck. It felt rough, the rope worn and frayed from years of use. She couldn't have looked happier. Grace just stared on, meek and useless in the background. Without another word, Sherlyn stood up, threw the rope over a branch, began hoisting me up on my feet. The knot tightened and my neck became stiff cutting off more air with every slight tug. I began to flail, but she conjured a knife from her pocket and held it out. Move much more and I'll have to fucking gut you. Tears stained in my dress. 
I grasped the rope as good as I could and stood there on my tiptoes, putting as much finger between it and my skin as I could muster. She stood there, devils dancing on her flesh, but she paid them no mind. I was nothing but a shadow to her, nothing but a period at the end of a sentence she'd been reading for far too long. As my vision began to go dark, the world seeping away in a monochrome palette of whites and grays, I saw something move in the trees beyond her head. My eyes bloated and watery, locked on one cluster of leaves in particular. My consciousness was fading fast, but when the leaves parted, I knew it wasn't just the wind. Just as I was losing the last of my sight, the world given to a black cluster, the rope gave way, and I was on the ground sucking air in in heavy gulps. A scream pierced through the veil of darkness around me from a place in the dirt. Trying to make sense of my surroundings, I realized Sherilyn was no longer in front of me. She was above. I scrambled up and got my legs under me, ignoring the pain burning all around. Flailing and kicking like a fox in a trap, she was hovering five feet off the ground. Black leather shoes dangling just over my head. She grasped and tore at her throat, but something held her tight. I could see the indents in her skin like somebody was gripping it and squeezing hard. Grace seemed to finally gather her wits and burst forward with a shout, trying desperately to grab her friend from the unseen assailant. She was met with a formless blow and rocketed back into a tree, a skull cracking against the wood, and the sound of bone crunching hard as her neck snapped in two. Staring on in rapt wonder, I watched as Sherilyn's face turned a pretty shade of molten blue. And her attempts got weaker. Her hands, once writhing tigers in a cage, now fluttered uselessly like grounded birds. Sherilyn's eyes, bugged out and glassy, looked down at me, pleading, begging, and they got X'd out. Large, black wounds opened up over them like paper shredding, and even through the invisible vice around her throat, I could hear her screaming. It sounded like frantic, garbled static, her body convulsed. It seemed to throb all at once like every vein in it was working overtime. In one swift motion, her clothes came tearing off, exposing soft, lily-white flesh to the gentle air of the forest. It was like a drawn, enraptured. I knew what was coming next. I stepped forward and raised my face up higher. Smiling proud as I could to welcome the coming rain. As if taking my cue, her stomach throbbed once, twice, then ruptured like it held a tiny grenade, sending a spray of blood down upon me and coating the shag carpet of leaves beneath in a fine sheen. Unfurling like a snake ready to strike, her guts came pouring out of her, formed into a pile around my feet. Her body was now a ragged mess of beautiful violet colors. Coming to life, her intestines picked up and began running through the air like they was on a track, coiling around her limbs and over her skin, savoring every inch. They looped around her throat and I saw the indents disappear, wrapping around the branch that she tried to put me up on. The slimy coil tied itself off in a pretty little knot, and suddenly, it was done. I looked around, 
realizing the force had gone stock still and silent, the air hummed with their deaths, and I could feel the heat shimmering around me, pushing out the natural cool of the night. Reaching out a hand, I saw and felt nothing. However, after a few inches of searching, I met something warm, solid, and pulsing with life. And I felt it close around my fingers in an inviting embrace, beckoned by the closing light. Sherilyn's ruined corpse swung with a marionette's twisted grace, still painting the brush below pretty little patterns. Somewhere deep in the forest, a stream bubbled softly, water running thick and black as the night began to swallow us up. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. There are differences in all of us, and those differences can be recognized and overcome or misunderstood and mocked, and the results can be devastatingly horrific. Rage is a powerful motivator. So do you have the stomach for more? We'll get set for something completely different. Next up is a surreal trip, so I will be your trip captain. And buckle up, folks, for I used to work at an old thrift store. A mere four years ago, I was in a rough patch and working part-time at an old thrift store just a few miles from where I lived. I was the only employee other than the owner himself. The owner was a small elderly man with little to no family. And now that I think about it, he never mentioned if he had one. He kept to himself, but was always very nice to anyone he met, including me. His name was Dan. I'm pretty sure that wasn't his real name, but I didn't care to ask. Dan took me in when I didn't have much, and felt like I would do anything for him. He didn't have much either, since the clientele at the thrift store wasn't exactly poppin'. The store gave a very down-at-the-creek type vibe, 
and was apparently built from the owner's bare hands. Or so he said. He was old, but didn't give the impression of being a man of physical labor. I didn't question it. From time to time, things would break and doors would fall off their hinges. And I would do my best to put them back together. This place was no doubt showing its age, but it felt like home. The first thing one would notice about the store is its unique existence among the wild. I mean, with no exaggeration, the store was surrounded by miles and miles of trees and would often feel desolate. We had our regulars who would stop by, but other than that, the foot traffic was bleak. Dan would usually work the mornings up to noon, and me, the second half, which usually meant closing the store by myself. And then one night, I wouldn't say I was necessarily afraid of the dark, but when closing shop, I felt a heightened awareness around me. I felt like something was watching. I just didn't know what. And by then, the sun was long gone, and all I could see was the dark outline of the towering trees. I didn't actually experience anything crazy, but I knew something was off. I brushed it off and got in my car and drove off. Trying to sleep that night was a bitch. And tossing and turning, I felt a migraine rushing in like a destructive tsunami. I took some pain medication and quickly dozed off into a dream. The dream was visceral. All I could see were swarms of vibrant colors swirling and swishing around, moving like mists against the wind. And suddenly my dream shifted. I was back at the thrift store. There I was, standing in front of this old but all-too-familiar thrift store. The night was as dark as can be, but my ears were numb from a chilling freeze. Directly behind the building sat a ginormous presence. In fact, the thing was colossal. I trembled, hardly able to speak, not knowing exactly what to say. It gave a very hesitant... Hello. Then without warning... This beast, the size of a 20-30 story building, starts flapping its wings and sends me flying on my ass, jetting its massive body straight up into the air. It began to hover over me, wings flapping with tremendous force, making it hard to breathe. I tried to grip the ground as best I could, but I was no match for this destructive force, causing me to glide every which way. I surrendered, and I could tell you, I remember very little beyond that. I wake up the next morning. Still left thinking about what exactly I just experienced. It must have been the meds, I tell myself. One thing I did notice is that my ears were still freezing. Odd, considering we're in the middle of July. I then get a call from Dan shortly after. Hey, I was wondering if you could cover the whole day for me at the store. I pause. Is something wrong, Dan? He hesitates. No, no. Dan quickly spurts in an egregious manner. Um, sure. I'll cover the day. The phone clicks. Dan hangs up. What was that about? Maybe he's coming down with the same illness as me. Either way, I'm left with an added nauseousness to my stomach. I then head off for the store. On the way to the store, I was honestly still thinking about the strange encounter I had with Dan over the phone. I'm pretty much wondering if he was okay and all. Minutes fly by, and hours pass. Everything starts to seem standard for the better half of the day, which was a major relief considering I was still feeling uneasy when I had arrived. And then, an hour before closing time, 
I take the liberty of playing some of my favorite tunes, ranging from Johnny Cash to Pink Floyd. The classics. Dan would not approve, but, you know, what the hell, I thought. Finally thinking my day was gradually improving, my music cuts out from the overhead speakers. Static begins to intrude. The fuck? All I can say is that what happened next changed everything. To this day, I'm still left a bit dumbfounded. Nervously twirling my right thumb against my index finger, I began to inspect the store, cautiously walking, looking for anything that may be out of the normal. Suddenly, the overhead speakers begin to project a strange sound, alien by most human standards. It's beautiful, to say the least. The sound began to shift in frequencies, as if dancing across the thrift store's creaky walls in elegance. I could feel it all across my body. I'm left in a daze, unable to speak. I spend hours standing in one place. At one point, I remember the room turning purple, as if standing directly under a blacklight, my eyes watering. I began to feel warmth shooting through my veins, no doubt emanating from the constant movement of these shifting frequencies. Unable to move, I began floating in a standing position about five inches from the ground. I feel a presence shifting behind me, but I don't feel scared. I close my eyes, my body now spinning in a clockwise motion. I hear a voice behind my ear softly whisper something I couldn't comprehend. I give a loud gasp. I tried to open my eyes, but I couldn't. It felt like my body was distorting and glitching as these loud sonic waves began pulsating and bouncing across the room. Whispering in my ear again, I hear, We are here for him. He was not wise. He deceived us. I tried to respond, but it was of no use. He may not understand at the moment, and surely this will pass. Confused, I could only cry out in agony. We made a deal, but he did not hold. We have appeared before him but choose you as his pawn. I then hear silence for what felt like an eternity. Again, whispering, He was not wise. He deceived us. He ran. There's no running with you or nil. I felt like crying at this point, and I did, and then felt my chest thumping as a swift burst of air came racing down my lungs. I gasped, we will disperse, but before we do... Feeling my voice come back, I cry out, Who are you? And it responds, We are what matters. We are everything. We will disperse. But before we do... It pauses for a few moments. We would like to extend you an offer. We will share the meaning of all of this. This thing... The secret of all of this, this thing you call life, we will give the meaning of life to you at a price. At this point, I'm still unable to see and, and willing to do just about anything, I ask, a very defeated, how? I hear silence for a few moments. With your life, we will share with you the meaning of life. We will give you a moment to absorb this revelation. And then, 
We will take what is ours. Still confused and unable to process what is being said to me, I cry out, I just want to go home, please. I want nothing to do with this. I just want to go home. Very well, it tells me. Suddenly, the pulsating stops. My eyes open. It was night out, and the store was in complete darkness. Hardly able to breathe, I stumble outside and race into my car. I need to get the fuck out of here. And four years have passed since then. I still can't explain what happened to me that night. I even tried calling Dan that night when I got home, but the line went straight to voicemail. No one knows where Dan went, and I honestly question whether he's still alive. Upon doing a quick Google search, it seems that the building where I once worked is no longer there. All I can say is that I value my life so much more after that night, even if I don't know the meaning behind it deceived us. I tried to respond, but it was of no use. You may not understand at the moment, and surely this will pass. Confused, I could only cry out in agony. We made a deal, but he did not hold. We have appeared before him, but choose you as his pawn. I then hear silence for what felt like an eternity. Again, whispering, he was not wise. He deceived us. He ran. Please stay seated till the vehicle has come to a complete stop and try to ignore the voices in your head. Our next trek ain't gonna be no party, but we do have a clown. So sit down and shut up and enjoy the fun. Oh yeah, things are about to get dark. We present to you, Dress Me Like a Clown. Unless you live under a rock, you no doubt have seen the rash of stories about crazed clowns on the loose terrorizing people, and generally sending the U.S. into an upheaval. This isn't a story about one of those clowns. This is a story about my childhood friend, Mr. Pogo, and how he helped me through one of the most tumultuous periods of my life. The day I met Mr. Pogo, it was my best friend Maisie's ninth birthday party. The most I can remember is colors. It was the first time I'd ever seen them. I've always been a very visual person, but for the first eight years of my life, I only saw the world in shades of black, white, and gray. I was diagnosed with colorblindness when I was five, just after starting kindergarten. It didn't affect me much. When you don't know something, you can't really miss it. Macy's parents had gone all out this year. They invited our whole grade from school and got a massive cake, pony rides, and even a clown. When I asked my dad, he agreed to bring me, albeit somewhat begrudgingly. Dad didn't like to leave the house a whole lot anymore. Ever since Mom had left a few months ago, and he lost his job, he'd changed. Now, he was always tired, always drinking, and not just a beer with dinner anymore. He was always angry, blurry-eyed, sour. He was hurting, 
On the way to the party, we were both silent. The radio droned on in the background, and I fidgeted nervously in my seat, watching gray shadows flip past the window in a blur of same-looking shapes. I sighed deeply and could clearly hear Dad's hands tightening against the leather covering the steering wheel. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw his white-knuckled grip, the tensity of his jaw, the heat radiating off him was something I could almost feel. I dropped my chin to my chest and absently brushed a hand against the deep bruise that blossomed overnight on my shoulder. It hurt. I winced. I didn't make another sound the rest of the drive. The second I saw Maisie, she ran up and jumped me with a big hug. I tried as hard as I could not to yelp, biting my lip, but a whimper still managed to slip out under my breath. She instantly backed off, worry flooding her eyes. I shifted my weight and could feel her gaze roving my body. It instinctively stopped on my shoulder and she gave me the same look she always did. We're only kids, but she was still smart beyond her years. She knew. We sang happy birthday. Maisie opened her presents. I'd gotten her, with help from my dad, the newest Polly Pocket dream house. Those things were all the rage back then. And we all stuffed our faces with cake. Then Mr. Pogo came on, and I felt the entire world shift. From somewhere I couldn't pinpoint. Music started to gently bleat. A deep, crunchy calliope, sounding like it was being filtered through an echo chamber. I whipped around trying to make sense of the direction. Suddenly, as if from thin air, a figure in a brightly colored costume somersaulted into view and jumped up with a small pop. I thought my eyes were on fire. I thought the world was ending. I didn't know exactly what I was seeing, but I knew it was color. A flurry of alien shapes exploded across my vision. I somehow knew all their names, with my breath caught in my throat. I watched the strange man dance in a wide circle across the grass, tapping kids on the head with a felt flower, yellow and green. His wide-legged pants, red, blue, white, gently flapping in the wind. Bells, golden and silver, threaded into them and jingled softly. The calliope music swelled louder and louder. I felt like I was caught in a merry-go-round of sound and light. The man pulled a handful of long, thin balloons, a veritable rainbow, out of his pocket, red, and began inflating them, twisting them into animals of all shapes and sizes. Blue dolphins, red birds, yellow giraffes rained down on us, and we all clapped in wonder. For the first time, I tore my eyes away from the clown and looked around me, expecting to see a brand new world, and was shocked to find that Beyond him, or what he was touching, my newfound colors disappeared. It was as though there was some phantom vacuum waiting, hungry and greedy, licking them up as soon as they left his body. He flipped by me, greasing Maisie's arm with one white-gloved finger, and for a second I saw that her dress lit up with a bright blue. Her eyes widened cradling a soft brown. For the rest of his performance, I sat, entranced, watching the traces of color sing across Maisie's backyard, following the clown wherever he went. Then, he was done.
he left. And the colors left with him. Disappointed and reeling just the slightest, I decided to take a short walk to the back of the house while Maisie's mom set up a party game. The forest that fed into the yard was vast and thick, and I'd spent quite a few lazy summer days camped out there, swapping dumb jokes and ghost stories with my friend. As I reached the edge of the tree line, I heard a faint, familiar jingling sound. The clown stood about ten feet behind me, and the colors had returned, swirling through his clothes, bouncing back and forth on his heels. He reached into his pocket and produced another balloon, and this one was purple. He floated over to me, inflating it and twisting it as he went, and offered it to me, fully formed. A small figure sat on his palms. It looked like a child curled up, its arms over its face. Unsure of what to say, I took the gift and stared into his eyes. They were black. Not just the pupil, but the iris as well. Underneath them, Large red fans made up the curve of his cheek, dotted with a yellow scatter of stars. Finally, I managed to stammer out a quiet, Thank you. A flourish of the hand responded. I watched as it curved and dipped in the air, making its way closer to me. I felt frozen, not by fear, but rather by the sense of comfort I hadn't felt in a long time. I felt warm as the gloved hand came to rest on my shirt. I knew I should run. I knew I should shout for an adult. Everything in me screamed go, remembering the safety lessons they taught us at school. Stranger danger PSAs flashed through my head, like massive billboards. But something told them to hush, that this was all right. I moved my collar aside, revealing a galaxy of bruises, not just the fresh ones from last night but the littered remnants of their cousins from the last few months. I looked down, and for the first time, saw my own colors. Splotchy purple. Fresh, sickly yellow. I felt disgusting. I took a step backwards and stumbled, landing in the dirt. His hand fluttered away, up to his mouth, and covered it with a dramatic flare. I blinked, and he was suddenly standing over me, hand outstretched. Hesitantly, I took it and felt something cold and hard touch my fingers. He pulled me up, leaving the object in my hand, and made a show of brushing my shirt off, doing a dance in a tight circle before turning and bounding away. In my palm sat a small metal buzzer, the kind you would get in a joke shop to shock people with. As he disappeared around the corner of the house, the world going gray once more, I could hear my dad calling for me. He sounded upset. Without thinking, I shoved the buzzer into my pocket, feeling the hard metal kiss of my skin through the fabric of my pants, and ran back to the front of the house. The rest of the party was fun, filled with games and dancing, but I couldn't stop thinking about the strange clown and his gift. That night was worse than usual. I think the energy of the day was too much for Dad. By dinner, he had already sunk himself into his fourth bottle of nasty-smelling beer and was slurring his words as he told me just to throw something in the microwave. I watched the cheese in my hot pocket bubble, closing my eyes and 
silently wishing myself elsewhere. The microwave beeped three times, and Dad called for me to bring him another beer. I obliged, as I rounded the corner into the living room, where he was watching TV, shoes propped up on the trash-covered table. I tripped on the carpet, sending the beer bottle flying. The foamy liquid splattered on the carpet. What the fuck is wrong with you? He shouted, and jumping up and knocking over his empty bottles. He crossed the room, grabbing at my collar and hoisting me off the ground, until my toes were dangling. Little fucking idiot. He spat in my face. I started crying, tears pouring freely. That just made him angrier. Thinking he was going to hit me, I braced for the impact, only to be dropped back to the floor. Through the tears, his face was dark and shadowed. Placing a hand on my bruised shoulder, he dug his thumb into it. I yelped, trying to pull away, but he kept pressing harder and harder until I thought it would snap. I wanted to hit him, but I knew that would be a death sentence. Just when I thought I might black out from the pain, and he released me. Shoving me away from him, I hit the wall and slumped down, landing in a wet spot from the spilled bottle. Without another word, he stormed away down the hall, slamming the door to his bedroom. In between hitched sobs, I heard the microwave beep again, reminding me of my hot pocket. I picked myself off the ground, tugging at my stretched shirt and rubbing my sore shoulder, and made my way into the kitchen. No longer hungry, I tossed the food in the trash and went to my room. Why? I thought to myself. Why did he have to hurt me? Does he not love me anymore? I didn't leave. Mom did. The same tired jumble of thoughts I'd returned to over and over again since his anger turned outward ran through my head. I flopped onto the bed, exhausted, and rolled over, hiding my face in the pillow. Something hard bit into my leg, and I remembered the buzzer. I took it out of my pocket. There didn't seem to anything special about it. Turning it over my palm, I noticed the inscription on the back, set into the sleek metal surface. The name Mr. Pogo was embedded in a thick, flowery script. Why had he given it to me? I wiped my wet face with the back of my hand. On the front, it had a little nub poking from the center. The part that you're supposed to touch to your victim's palm without thinking. And I pressed it, expecting a little shock. From the belly of the house, a deep bellow exploded. I could hear a muffled, what the fuck, being shouted. My dad's voice. Staring at the buzzer, I contemplated it for a moment. It had to be a weird coincidence, right? The pad of my finger lingered on the metal stick, and I pressed it down again. A static shock crackled in the air, and I could almost see my dad jumping in his bed, fleeing the sheets off him and, and pounding the bedside table as he drunkenly screamed in pain. With confusing visions of power dancing in my head, I slept safe and sound that night, in the comfort of the buzzer. The next morning, sat at the table, with a bowl of cereal and a piece of slightly burnt toast, I silently watched as Dad poured himself a cup of coffee and rubbed his head. Bleary, 
shadowed eyes. He looked like he hadn't slept in a wink, and the hangover clung to him like a petulant child. I grinned into my spoon. All day, through the white noise of my teacher's words, all I could think about was the buzzer and Mr. Pogo. At least, I assumed that was his name. A strange clown had given me a gift, but why? How had he known, and why did he care? Questions breezed through my mind like frantic birds throughout the rest of the day. As the bell signifying the end of school rang, I panicked and packed up my things and headed to the door with memories of his bright colors running rampant in my head. As soon as I got home, I ran into my room, throwing myself onto my bed and grabbing the buzzer from underneath my pillow. There had to be more to it. I turned it over and over in my hands, looking for some secret sign, some tell to its magic, but only saw stainless steel and my new friend's name. I went to sleep early that night. As I drifted off, I could have sworn I heard bells jingling against the curve of the wind. Over the course of the next two weeks, little gifts started to appear in odd places. A silky pair of red and white pants, and a frilly shirt under my bed, a plastic jar of white, creamy paste in my closet, and a small blue and yellow hat with a shiny golden bell on it, hanging from the bedside lamp. I wasn't worried, and I didn't tell Dad about any of them. I knew it was just Mr. Pogo, trying to tell me that he was watching, that he would keep me safe. Better yet, I could see the colors in all of his gifts. Dad only acted up once during that time, when I forgot to close the door to the backyard. I earned a shiny new bruise on my stomach, and the loss of the air in my lungs for that one. Lying in bed, curled up in pain, I grabbed for my buzzer and held down on it for a little longer than I probably should have. Dad's screams ricocheted off the walls, sending chills of excitement creeping up my spine. The next day, I could hear him muttering about the doctors, strokes, and all sorts of other words I didn't really care about. On my way home, I could think of nothing but what new present I might unearth that night. The gifts were erratic, but they were always wonderful. The second I walked through the door, I knew something was wrong. My dad's shoes were in the hallway. He was home. Usually he didn't arrive home from wherever he went during the day until at least an hour or two after I got back from school. Dad? I called out, tentatively. Silence greeted me as I walked through the dark front hall. He wasn't in the living room, not in the kitchen. The door to his bedroom was closed without any light showing from underneath it. I shrugged and went to my room, but stopped dead in my tracks when I saw there was clearly a light on inside. I called out again. Dad, are you here? My voice sounded small, nervous. I turned the knob and pushed the door in. It was sitting on my bed, the red silky fabric of my special pants showing through his clenched fists. He looked up at me with an expression I'd never seen crawling across his face and said, in a low, husky voice, You been dressing up, boy? I shook my head, unsure of what to say. Found this. Thought you could hide it. 
he hiccuped. Thought you could hide this faggot shit from me. Dad, I found your makeup too. What you need makeup for? You gonna go suck some cock at school like a pretty boy? Hmm, that it? He hurled the plastic jar towards me, hitting the door frame. It bounced off with a loud thud and rolled across the carpet, stopping near the window. The sky outside was dark, like a cavernous mouth. It had started to rain, and the world was simply yawning in deep, stormy breaths, and I heard faint jingling. Standing up, bracing himself on the headboard, and knocking my bedside lamp to the floor, he stumbled forward, grabbing for me. I could smell the booze on him. It hit me in the face like a rank cloud. I didn't give him time to reach me, dashing out the door. I slipped around the corner and ran through the hallway, stopping at the entrance to see if he was following, heart pounding in my ears. I could clearly hear his footsteps thundering behind me. I burst through the living room, around the island in the kitchen, and doubled back into the hallway. Reaching my bedroom door, just as he realized where I was, I managed to get the door closed and locked, pressing my back against it as he returned, huffing and puffing, full of rage. He slammed a fist into it, shouting, Open this fucking door! And the wood flexed against me, but held fast. The storm is raging past my window now. I can see the trees in our backyard whipping back and forth in the wind, and a sheet of rain splattered against the window. A bolt of lightning shot across the sky, and I saw, for just a brief moment, a bright white face in the window. It was my friend, Mr. Pogo, come to help. I ran to the window, wrenching it open, as Dad pounded harder and harder against the door and shouted something unintangible into the roar of the outside world. Another bolt, and I saw that Mr. Pogo was gone. I shouted for him again, and then heard a loud jingling behind me. Spinning in place, I saw him, perfectly dry, dressed just the way he'd been at Maisie's party. He bounced up and down on his heels, spreading his arms wide. I ran to him and jumped up, snuggling into his embrace. He smelled like old books and sweet flowers and cotton candy. He held me tight for just a moment, and then set me down. Mr. Pogo, I'm scared. He placed a long finger against my lips and gestured around us in a circle. I, I don't understand. Dad howled in the background, beating his fist raw against the door. It was beginning to splinter, small cracking noises punctuating the more methodic ones from outside. Mr. Pogo reached deep in his pocket and produced a flower with a long string attached to it. On the other end, there was a small pad with a button. He pinned the flower to my shirt and placed the button in my hand, closing my fingers around it. Jumping up, he flounced over to the window and plucked the jar of makeup up from where it had landed. He unscrewed it, coating his hand, and crossed back over to me. His feet didn't touch the ground as they moved. Quickly and gently, he spread the cold paste across my face. It smelled like the type of medicine my grandpa used to rub on his knees and back. And like, like something else. Licorice, maybe? He snatched up my pretty clothes, my shirt and pants, and helped me into them. Just as it sounded like the door was about to snap in half under the weight of my dad's anger, Mr. Pogo placed a little hat on my head, pulling it down snug. 
and flicked the bell with his finger. And it jingled. I giggled. I knew what I had to do. I had to show Dad that the world wasn't all scares and frights. We could laugh and have fun again. I grabbed up my buzzer and hopped over to the door. Looking back at Mr. Pogo, he gave me the okay sign with his hand, fingers seeming just a bit longer and thinner than usual, and winked. The movement was exaggerated, and as he opened his mouth, I saw that he had no teeth. Just a bright, blood-red tongue and gaping blackness leading into his throat. The walls of my room glowed a faint neon green around me as I gripped the doorknob, giving him a silent, open-mouthed giggle and unlocked the door. It opened. My dad spilled into the room, slamming into the opposite wall. What the fuck is wrong with you, you little piece of sh-? He stopped mid-sentence as he looked behind me. Silly me. I, I would have introduced them. Uh, who? Who? What? He began, but his mutterings were drowned out by the music, as though I had my very own carnival chorus. The sound of the majestic calliope spilled into the room, reverberating off every available surface. It filled the air, which was crackling with the scent of freshly made popcorn and peanuts and candied lights, and I felt new life flow into me. I must show Dad my new tricks. I bound over him, chucked him under his chin, and bopped him on the nose. He stared, mouth agape, at the dancing wonder his son had become. Bending forward, I gestured to my flower. He blinked a few times, then leaned forward to inspect it, letting another silent giggle slip through my body, with one hand over my mouth and the other gripping the button at the end of my string. I pressed down. A jet of wonderful-smelling liquid sprayed out of it, coating Dad's face. The second it made contact, he started clawing at it with his fingers, screaming with all his might. I knew my show was off to a good start. I glanced behind me. Mr. Pogo was clapping, the spindly stalks of his eyes bulging through the red, glossy caverns of his torn, open cheeks. Hopping from foot to foot, he clicked his razor-sharp claws together, leant back his head and crowed. It was the first time I'd heard him make an actual sound. It was magnificent. I crowed alongside him, the sound swelling and pulsing in between blasts of the churning organ. Then, I remembered my buzzer. I looked down on Dad, writhing and squirming, his face melting from his skin in festering ribbons, the muscles of his cheeks bubbling and bursting, sending sprays of green and orange and red all over the floor, and I pressed the button. How he convulsed. I pressed it again, watching him dance and jump in the air like a marionette. I, the gracious puppet master, held it down and watched his legs scramble and jolt in a frantic blur, wanting to give my doll a proper send-off. He clawed backwards up the wall, propelled by my electric magnet, and clawed wildly at the doorframe. Trying to pull himself from the room, I could see most of the bone of his face now. His skin glinted, twinkling like a diamond from the outside, as the rest of his skin started to singe, parts of it popping under his clothes like wet popcorn at the fair. I jumped up and down spinning and twirling, punching the button of my buzzer to the rhythm of my dance, with one final scream rippling through him like a siren. Dad's feet lifted from the floor entirely. He hovered in the air for just a moment, his bones seeming to vibrate right out of his body, and a sound like meat packing against the concrete tore through the house, and his body popped like a balloon. I jumped back grabbing Mr. Pogo's claws, and they dug into my fingers. 
but I didn't mind. The steaming remnants of Dad falling around us like a mucusy rain, birthing a set of new legs from the twitching black shell of his torso. Mr. Pogo tossed me onto his back. I settled in comfortably, and he skittered forward, stepping over Dad's ruined corpse, out the window, and dropped into the yard below. The storm screamed on around us as we danced into the night, skipping, pirouetting, whirling gracefully through the raindrops. Two clowns looking for a brand new party. Well, looks like Daddy got a backstage pass to hell, courtesy of Pogo and his young assistant. Ah. Looks like the villagers have arrived as usual, so, for our last nightmarish vision, we'll give you a sense of dissociation. But that's what happens when you toss that important regulatory medication. So bring all your personalities along for this ride. And now, a siren sings beneath my skin. A siren sings beneath my skin by decomposed. There's something living under my skin. The first time it spoke to me, I was five. Its voice was soft, one of gentle guidance. You can climb up that tree, it said. There are treats waiting for you beyond your comprehension. You can climb that tree like a ladder to the stars. More, you can touch your mother's face again. But when I climbed the tree, I found only rotting wood. I found a colony of life besieged by death. The scattered corpses of insect life, a thousand strong, littering every nook and cranny, lingering in the heart of my eighth summer. Just a few days outside of the anniversary of my mother's death, I heard it speak again. This time it was louder. That river isn't too deep. Its surface bubbles, but so do you. Go, enjoy its cool release. Find yourself the smoothest stone and bless its world with the nip at your feet. I awoke to lights flashing red and blue. Worried faces shrouded in white cotton, and that of my father gliding close behind. Twisted, enraged, inconsolable, my lungs were an ocean's depth, my skin a shade of blue purer than a rich desert sky. The voice grew stronger in my teenage years, not louder, but more defined, resounding off the angst bred from the commonplace. The slightest unpleasantries. I fostered guilt in the minuscule, the most gentle grievances, and led passive lambs to slaughter. The voice became one of vociferous support in the realm of self-destruction. Every twist and turn, you go too far. You can't see ahead, and you fear what's behind. 
Skeletons are burying themselves in graves you can't even dig yourself. You're living on borrowed time. Make some room, cut out a little piece of yourself, and prepare your path for regrowth. I did, carving small lines that become blurred over time, references to memories I couldn't recall if they even actually existed in the first place. I sought revelation in capsules and found the word of God in powders of brown and white. I breathed ash, smoked dust, and purged my body of all things right. When I found my first love, in a mess of soft curves, midnight locks, and scarlet lips, the supple flesh of my own kind's touch, the voice turned sour and jealous, its needs became stronger and lascivious. You are finding comfort in abomination. You happily bask in the devil's hands and you allow sin to lick greedily from the putrescent kiln of human abstraction. Turn away from her. Turn away from confusion and return your body to the light. Tell her she repulses you. Tell her this was a mistake, and that you would never endeavor to commit such atrocious acts against nature. Tell her. So I did. I broke her heart and mine. The pieces never able to complement and conform each other. She couldn't take the hurt, couldn't face the faux reality I'd created to satiate my phantom's lust. Thus, she took the only thing she could. For years, the voice grew. It steeped into every notion of safety and presented itself to every unfounded decision as the ultimate absolution. Its demands turned from the outside world to within as it rose and pulsed and came to a head. I grew weaker, smaller, transparent. For the last few weeks, I've been able to hear it speaking to me in languages I don't understand. Menace drips from its once dulcet tone. Even if I don't understand a word, tentative licks come, buried beneath the flesh, poking and prodding at tensed muscles, testing, searching for signs of entry, the precipice of ovulation. I know what it's doing, what it's looking for. My voice is attempting birth. I haven't actively thought for a single moment about what I'm bound to do, but I know it needs to be done. The voice needs to be silenced. It is louder than my own internal thought process. It is screaming. It knows something is wrong. As I lower the blade into my flesh, right behind my elbow, and I press until it hits the bone with an unexpected clink. The voice doubles, triples in volume. It no longer speaks words, even in foreign tongues. I can feel it pushing against me from the inside worming fingers between my ribs and begging release and I will give it just that release the meat of my forearm came off easier than expected as I start on my bicep a spatter of blood blessing my face with a kiss the voice reaches a pitch and volume that is unfounded in the natural realm all I know is that its screams have become unfurnished shallow inhuman 
I've returned to it the gift that it first gave me. Now, the voice is drowning. I want to thank you for joining me. Make sure to be here next Wednesday, January 18th for the season two premiere of the Simply Scary Podcast. And make sure to check out more of Ronnie Dickinson's work on his YouTube channel, The Dark Somnium. I am the other half, and here's to more disturbed sleep. But who needs it anyway? This broadcast has been a production of Chilling Entertainment, LLC. Copyright 2017. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.